Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear the story of someone strong enough to bear it all. The Naked Podcaster is a representation of freeing yourself, giving you permission to be real in all your quirkiness, baggage, struggles to success, and tragedy to triumph. I'm so excited you're joining the journey. Your past doesn't define you, but it does lead you on a path to today. Let's get naked. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. This is Jen, and I am with Dr. Sashin. Mobley, how are you doing? (laughs) I know I'm dancing because I always like to dance when I hear my name. Uh, I'm great, Jen. Thanks for having me. Well, I wouldn't be dancing too because, you know, (laughs) when we were pre-gaming before we started, like my name is Jennifer Susan Taylor. It is the most, not only boring, but most popular name. It's as Wonder Bread White as you can get. So I hear names like yours. I'm like, Sashin, why didn't I get that name? I'm dancing. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I do like my name. And I I love the doctor in front of it. I know. Well, yeah. You are a doctor in front of it. I'm going to let you talk about that. You have a Facebook page and presence that's awesome. I have that up. And if and when you get a website, your website's, mine crashed for like 10 months. So I, totally hear you with the, I'm working on the website. Um, right now we have the Facebook page. All of that will be linked in the show notes so people can find you. Um, so tell me who you are and what you're doing. Currently I'm taking off my earrings so you don't get feedback (laughs) because I just realized that my earrings are going to tap against the microphone if I'm not careful. Okay. I love that you're wearing earrings that could give feedback that in and of (laughs) itself. Like, (laughs) <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, I, you know, I've done this enough to know that 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 comes up in the recording. I'm like, oh, they're not going to hear me because my earrings are going to go clunk, 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 clunk every five yeah. seconds. All uh-huh. right, so hi everyone. Um, again, thank you so much for having me. I'm Dr. Sashi Mobley, and my journey is securitous. Uh, the doctor is because the doctor comes from having a PhD in communication. Um, from the University of Missouri, go Mizzou, go Tigers, for any Mizzou people out there. Um, And yeah, I studied relationships and communication in some way, shape, or form for almost 20 years now. Wow. That's really impressive. That is awesome. My um, major in college was communications. So nice. it's so huge. Oh, I didn't yeah. finish it, but you know, like it's, yeah. it's, it's an enormous uh, job field. You can go in a lot of different ways. So you've been doing that for 20 years, which is fantastic. And on your website and your Facebook page, Mm -hmm. what is it that you focus on? Because communications is huge. So it is. So when I, when I got my, my undergrad in human development, um, human communication and relationship development, and I've focused really on understanding how people tell their stories. And so, because my story is ever changing. And as, even as a young child, I recognize that the stories that we tell ourselves are really powerful. And so when I got to grad school, I studied interpersonal communication because I wanted to understand how we talk to each other in relationships because that's just what we do. Everything is a relationship. And so I, um, I narrowed that field. I also do, I have an organizational background as well because I have been in the business world for a while and I've been in academics for a while. So my specialties are interpersonal and organizational communication, but I honestly, I study the stories we live by. I want to understand and help people understand the stories that they live by. So right now my focus is on helping women transitioning through divorce, understand the stories that they're telling themselves and how those stories can either be a help or a hindrance to their life after divorce. And, but I've focused on many things, but it always comes back down to the stories we tell. I love the stories we tell. I love that. So you offer group courses. You offer um, purpose and passion. Yeah. Um, don't just survive, thrive with divorce. And I, you're the divorce diva. Me. <laughs> and then you do summer and fall astrological forecasts. So that's so part of another aspect of my business is that I am a astrologer. <laughs> I'm an astrologer. And I work with clients on helping them map out their life and work on their life planning through astrology and numerology. Oh my God. A whole I mean, separate business. <laughs> that is a, I'm like, so divorce and astrology, although I get that there can be a connection there, but oh, there's a connection. <laughs> I know. Oh, yes, I, I am. You know what? That's one thing I've always been afraid to get done. 
Because it's it's not going to be like a personality test. You're going to be like, Jen, we're going to, we're going to, it's going to be a come to Jesus conversation. You know what I mean? It could be. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, yes, I know. And I tell people, so people are like, "Uh, so what's your sign? And I'm like, Sagittarius, the best one, obviously, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And people that know astrology are like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) How did you get into that? Well, that started when I was um, in, gosh, what year was it? I don't even know what year it started, but I was raised in a Baptist church. That was my background. And I grew up as a Baptist. I was baptized at 21. And then I kind of went astray. I like to say that baptism kind of opened the floodgates for me to go astray. It didn't bring me back into the fold. It actually made me go, I'm not sure that the fold really fits me. So I went looking for other ways to understand the nature of life. Again, storytelling. I wanted to understand our story. Like, what what does it mean to be a Baptist girl from the Midwest? <laughs> what does it mean to be raised in the, in the church? And it that just wasn't my story. And then ultimately, um, that led me to a lot of different things. My dad is really heavily into Native American spirituality. And that kind of opened the, the door for me to think about life differently, in a different way than what I had necessarily raised with my mom, because my parents are divorced. And so... Um, yeah, that exploration just led me to, to it's funny because people call it new age, but I actually call it more ancient traditions of understanding. I actually think that that is so incredibly fascinating. And if I had to, I mean, I don't know enough about everything, but if I had to pick one thing and same, same thing, when you're really raised in a Christian environment, especially if it's, mm-hmm. and I, and I was, I got into a strict religion. All of a sudden it does. It makes you question like, wait, this doesn't feel quite like it should be. And right. um, I, I'm, I'm throwing this out here to see if this was your struggle. Mm-hmm. I felt like everything about God, then they put in all of the fear and damnation. I'm like, God, that just doesn't seem like the God that like, okay, there's like this disconnect for me. And Native American yes. might be, I don't know, I have to really research a lot of different things because there are so many parts to like Buddhism. And did you go on a, oh. did you look into a lot of different religions? So what ended up happening, I didn't actually, because once I decided religion, organized religion really wasn't for me, it, I didn't need another one to replace the one that I had. Right, um, right. I, I really felt like, I was going to pick and choose my own path. And, and so I, I chant, I listen to mantras. I create my own mantras. I practice spirituality of meditation. I journal, I commune with the, with what I consider what I call the flow of the universe because, yeah. you know, Les Brown said something, I think I heard it like 10 years ago now. Gosh, it's been that long. He said in one of his talks, you are the stuff of stars exists in our DNA. Like, how cool is that, right? Like, we are made of the very building blocks of the universe. So for me, that really opened up this idea that I didn't need to organize anything. Right. I just needed to, I just needed to kind of go where the universe led. <laughs> so that's what I've been doing ever since, which is, you know, much to the horror and dismay of my mother, not going to lie. <laughs> um, <laughs> she wasn't real thrilled about hearing that I was no longer going to be out of the fold, but um in truth, it's, you know, the walk feels more, more joyful every year that I just yeah. get over the idea of needing to be a part of anything that doesn't feel good. And religion just didn't feel good to me. A lot I'm a of wild it, child too, though. Oh, we'll go back and talk about that. That's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I have very, I'm legal, but I'm a wild child with you. So, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I felt like there were bits and pieces to everything and mm-hmm. people would say, well, yeah, but you're just, you're just looking until you find something that is the answer that you want. And I thought, yeah. well, yeah, doesn't that make sense? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Why wouldn't I look for something that confirms what I'd like to believe to be true about the world? <laughs> All right. And actually then you start realizing so many other people feel that same way. And for me, it was getting past the guilt yeah. Right. Yeah. Did you have? Yeah. Is your mom still sad? Is there guilt? Was there guilt? Yeah. Um. Probably. Probably not as much because I have a very 
so I'm, I'm heavily into astrology and I have a, a Gemini son, which can make me ultimately crazy and sane at the same time. Um, but I also have a Libra rising, which makes me really practical and pragmatic about things and guilt away city emotions for me. It just doesn't work. Ah, <laughs> I love it. I'm just, I'm just one of those people. I mean, there, there are just a group of us in the world for whom we're like, you know what? Guilt just a waste of my time. I don't really. Right. Yeah. Can we speed this it. up, please? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. That's awesome. So take me back. Take me back to the struggles. Well, so I, like I said, I, I got baptized at 21. I was the late baptee in my family. So everyone yes. else was baptized as kids, right? And somehow I slipped under the radar. <laughs> oh, there you go. So at 21, I finally succumbed to the pressure and got baptized. And like I said, for others, my life kind of went sideways. But for me, it became this really amazing journey of, but I don't really know what I'm going to believe in yet. And so I'm going to go out and live in, in the world. And it's actually through living in the world. Like, so I got, I was 21. I know what the hell I was going to do with my life. Um, so Amen. Like I any went, of us do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I'm 21. All right. So sure. I was supposed to get married. I didn't get married. Um, uh, yeah. Then I eventually did get married to a different guy and I divorced him. It was just crazy. <laughs> and I divorced him because I'm like, well, I didn't really want to be married, but it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. And yeah. So wait a minute. You're dating somebody who you're supposed to get married to. We're back okay. in this train up. And yeah. what made you say no? And how did that go? So I was engaged to be married to, to my first love. I met him at 19. 18 or 19. I was engaged to be married to him three times. I never married him. Um, the first two times we lived in the same place. We met in Iowa of all places. Uh, and, you know, it was devastating for him. He really wanted to get married. He wanted a family. He wanted to settle down. But I started to understand in my 20s, and this is not something that everyone comes to, but for some of us in the world, you just start to realize your path is just not going to be linear. Right. I didn't okay. want a house in the suburbs. I didn't want 2.5 kids. I didn't want a dog. I didn't want vacations every two weeks and 40 hour work weeks. I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted, but I didn't want that. Um, I, I didn't want to, and I didn't want to stay in the same place where I'd been my whole life and just stay there. I wanted to, I wanted to go see the world. I wanted to know what else was out there. And I thought, if I get married, you kind of owe it to the other person to put some of that on the shelf because, <laughs> you know, there's this compromise thing. Well, at 20 something, I don't know that people should be making that compromise. I think less people should be making that compromise at 20 something and maybe do it at 30 something when they've lived a little. So, I mean, good for you at that age for one, recognizing it and two, standing up for it. Cause well, the Sounds better than it was. Like I said, I'm a Gemini. So it was crazy. I was planning a wedding and at the same time trying to figure out how to get out of it. And <laughs> oh my God. Wait. It, wasn't that easy. it wasn't that linear. It was more of a, so we're going to order invitations. Okay. Am I really going to do this? So we're going to go shop for dresses. Okay. Sure. I mean, I walked up to the line pretty closely and then I was like, um, no. I'm not going to do this. I didn't leave him at the altar, but we had, at, so the first time I think we had invitations printed. The second time we might actually had a venue booked. And then, yeah, I said no again. I said no again. Um, you know, like I said, and I think I want to make sure that this point doesn't get missed. I firmly think that in your twenties, you are allowed to be crazy. You're allowed to go nuts and just not know and it was hard to say to people I love him but I just don't know I don't know if I want to have babies I don't know if I want to you know I can say that now but then I just knew that I didn't I didn't want to be in the cage I guess it, it felt like a cage to me it doesn't feel like a cage to everyone but for some people you know it it feels confining to think that your entire life is going to be lived on the same block in the same house the same people doing the same job having the same meals, having, the, it just felt like I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Then how much longer was it before you met the person you married? <laughs> so uh, not long because it's hard to break conditioning even when you're strong. 
it's hard to break conditioning. So I met another gentleman, I think I was 20, I was married at 23 and divorced by 24. Okay. So you met him right before you, so you met him within a year or so. Yes. Of breaking things yeah, this off. Was a, there was probably a, a five year period where I was meeting all kinds of folks um, right. and doing all kinds of things. Like I said, I was a bit of a wild child. Um, but this is part of the, um, sorry, the Gemini in me never finishes the sentence. <laughs> Let me try this again. This is part of the understanding now my path, whereas then it just felt like I was jumping from thing to thing to thing, which drove my parents literally crazy because okay. I never could stick with one thing at a time. But part of my makeup is somebody who just needs change. I need change in order to feel like my life is moving forward. So I met a man through a, uh, a friend of mine and he was in his thirties. I was in my twenties. We got married March. We were divorced by June of the next year. And what it taught, and that happened partially because I knew that I didn't necessarily want the conventional. So I married an artist. How much more unconventional can you get? So I married an artist, which turned out to be a disaster. So you thought that by changing the personality of the person exactly. you were marrying, okay? Yes. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not a terrible theory. Uh, it's not. <laughs> Really, like retrospectively, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I'm like, no, that's actually pretty good. So if you met someone who was kind of like free and you got married, you could have the best of both worlds. Exactly. In theory, that should have, that's exactly what should have happened. I totally get the theory and it it did not happen. So what happened? What what happened? What happened was um, he ended up being an alcoholic Mm. and, uh, and a recovering alcoholic in, in the infancy of recovery can be extremely difficult to live with. So I went from um, carefree and loose to caretaking. Mm. And that was a very difficult place to be for someone like me who really understood. Even at that age, I did understand that I had spent my entire childhood kind of always caretaking someone. I had a lot of cousins. I had, I grew up around a lot of family and there were always babies and people who needed things. And so I was used to caretaking and being someone that had to take care of. I didn't want my entire marriage to be like that. So he ended up being an alcoholic and his mother died of cancer during our marriage. And that was really tough because she was a good friend of mine. That's how I met him. Um, But what I read when she died, what I realized is that I had I had, I had made this story in my head that I would always take care of her son because I loved her so much. I loved mm-hmm. that woman so much that I was going to take care of the son that she'd left behind because he couldn't take care of himself. Well, that did not last because, again, I was young and stupid, but I wasn't completely stupid. I did understand that you really can't take care of somebody else. You really can't. You can't become someone else's anchor. You um, can, and- but it's horrible for both of you. But it's horrible for both of you. And it was horrible for both of us. So was he was on board with the divorce? Oh gosh, no. Mm-mm. He was not happy about that at all. So in the ultimately I so the night that I decided to get a divorce, I called his mother <clears throat> who passed away um, after we separated, but I called his mother to tell her that we were gonna get a divorce. Uh, and then we ended up not getting a divorce until until later because she was so sick. But I called her to tell her that I am leaving your son. You know, I cannot do this. And it broke my heart to tell her that. Um, and then he went off the rails. So I didn't have an abusive relationship in the sense of physical abuse. But he was just crazy. He was your quintessential artistic temperamental 40 year old baby. And Who so when he wasn't drinking his way, he was, well, he wasn't drinking. That was the problem. No, that oh. wasn't the problem. He wasn't drinking because he was trying to be sober, but he didn't really want to be sober. And so for some people, um, sobriety just makes them mean. It just makes them unpleasant because they don't actually want to be sober, but it's the right thing to do. And so in his mind, his story was one of victimhood. He was only being, he was the victim here because he couldn't do the thing that he wanted because he wants trying to be 
two kids, 2.5 kids, house in the suburbs, you know, the story. He was trying to live the story. And he had a wife who was like, I can't live this story. Are you kidding me? This story's going to kill me. So we bought a house. Like we had the whole nine yards. We had the house and picket fence and like we, we did the thing. And uh, I moved, <laughs> I moved him out of the house. And I changed the not. I didn't change the locks on the doors, everybody. I changed the doors on the house. I was dead serious <laughs> that he, he was not coming back inside my house ever again. So to have the locks, I changed the entire doors. Well, go big or go home. I mean, you like change, I so <laughs> exactly. How did his mom take it? And I know you waited to actually follow through because she was so sick, but she mm-hmm. knew yeah. what was happening. Mm-hmm. How did she take it? And what was her take on his addiction or addictive behavior? She was devastated, but she understood because, um, unfortunately, in that family, depression and addiction were. Um, generational issues. It was a generational story that repeated itself over and over and over again. And his father had depression and was not, not well. And she had been left raising three kids, trying to make it work. So she fully understood what I just couldn't, but she had just hoped that I'd be strong enough to do it. I don't even know. People say that a lot, you know, you'll, you're strong enough to handle it. I don't think that that's the right vernacular just because any of us could be strong enough, but are we stupid enough to do it? Or are we, you know, like, do we want to do it? It's, it's just interesting me, the, the words that people use for that. Like, yeah, I'm strong Mm -hmm. enough, but I'm not dumb enough. So and talking right. about being caged, I mean, you didn't want to be married the first time because you didn't want to fit in the box. This mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. a totally different and much worse cage. It was. I'm speaking so then I personal experience, so yes, I understand. <laughs> so I ran as fast as I could. Once the divorce was final, I, I uh, took off. Where did school fit into all of this? When did you start going to school? So I I got my first degree, my bachelor's degree after, um, after the, well, I already had it at, I already had it when I got married. I went back to school to get my master's degree in 1998. Okay. Which is also when I went to go work for a church, which is a whole nother story. Well, we're Um, getting there. We're working our way. (laughs) So you had your bachelor's degree and you were continuing your education through, I just kind of want to get a timeline. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it spans, it it spans some time. It's like some time off. I went back and things like that. Yeah. Where did you go when you ran far away? Um, so luckily our world, my world and my ex's world weren't really intertwined, but I'm trying to think, where did I end up the first time? Um, I ran into corporate America, which was also probably not the best move that I could have made as the kind of person that I am. I I ran into corporate America and I began to live a pretty free willing twenties because I was young. I was only 24. So I was like, well, I've got the rest of my twenties to kind of make up for the fact that I've, you know, endured a lot. So I just, I, so when I say I ran, it was, I didn't leave Kansas city, which is where I was, which is where I was at the time. I, I just ran away from everything that reminded me of who I had been with him. So I 180 completely away from everything that had been a reminder. I quit my job. I, I moved to a different apartment. I, everything I still had, or excuse me, I didn't leave the house yet. I still had the house for quite a while. Um, but I quit my job on a different job. I started hanging out with totally different groups of people. It's where I met some really amazing women um, who used to live next door to me. I'm still friends with them today. And I got unfolded into the the world of my neighbors who happened to be lesbians. And so I, I began hanging out with them more and they became kind of my surrogate family through the drama of ending my marriage and figuring out what the hell I was going to do next with my life. And so that when I say I ran completely away from what I had known, I, I did. <laughs> I ran straight into a whole other world of people. And That's that great though. Fantastic. It really did turn out to be fantastic. For someone who loves the story, you mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize how much you're writing your own. Yes. 
I, we get real like I love the story, right? I love your yeah. story, but I you we don't stop to think. Oh my God, I'm writing my own at the same time, mm-hmm. right? So, corporate, you're right. I get that that was totally not a good fit for you, but what a great lesson. And sometimes, you know, like you said, this was a journey of your education and of learning and of mm-hmm. becoming who you are today. So back that far back, you probably weren't recognizing a lot of that stuff. No. Right. So corporate makes sense. Right. Because I was like, well, that's what you do. You get a Well, job, you have to have a job. Right. right. You have to work. Have you have to pay. Right. Okay. So yeah. how long did it take you to realize that wasn't the right fit? And how confusing was it when you're taking these different little stories, <laughs> these tangents, and yes. like, well, that one's not right. Well, that one's not right. Mm-hmm. It was. It was wild. I mean, I had at one point, I've waitressed in a jazz club. I've waitressed in a five-star restaurant. I've been a, a, a car hop waitress. I've worked in corporate America. I have, I've done a lot of things. And in hindsight, it has been, sorry, I'm looking for my child. It's been fucking amazing. Right. I looked back on this flow of my life. But at the time I was like, I don't know what's happening. My poor parents, <laughs> just, you gotta love them. Because they're always like, we don't know what you're doing. We're not really quite sure where you came from. But okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you know, you're off to the next thing. And okay, you know, they just kind of at some point they started saying, okay. I mean, I've worked, I was a, a, a teacher in a Montessori school one month. And then I'd be like, oh, I'm done with that. So I'm going to go sell retail. And I'm done with that. I'm going to go like, no, no, that's not working either. So then I'm going to go work for an insurance company. Uh, and then I'm going to go do this. And so, yeah, <laughs> all of these little narratives of my life in hindsight have been amazing. But at the moment, in the moment, I just felt like I was a rudderless ship. Did you wonder if you were going to fit in somewhere? Yes, always. <clears throat> okay. Always. Tell me a little bit about that because it sounds like this yeah. super fun adventure, but you, that's not how it felt going through it. No, it didn't. And it never feels that way for when you're going through it. I, I would argue that what I felt is probably echoed in a lot of people in that you, I was always looking for a place where I felt like I could just stop, that people would accept me for who I was and would be happy with who I am and I didn't, wouldn't have anything to prove and I wouldn't have to do a whole lot except just be me. So I was always looking for that peace. Because um, I hadn't realized in my 20s and even into my 30s um, how much I, how much growing up with two separate households and two separate everything made me feel a little bit rudderless. Yeah. And so that, that narrative was underneath a lot of the franticness of my 20s, always searching. Now, I never did drugs because... I always knew that I had an addictive personality. And if I got too heavily into a substance, I might not ever come out. So I never did those. I never did drugs. I had a slew of boyfriends. I make no apologies for the fact that I'm a very sexual woman and that's just who I am. Um, but I always understood that if I get, if I allowed myself to go too far down any rabbit hole, I might not actually be able to pull myself out again. And so, but I didn't understand what that meant, what the idea of, of needing something to anchor to so some people anchor to relationships, some people anchor to jobs. And I was, I was anchoring to change because change felt like the only constant thing. If that makes sense. It does make sense. And it's familiar. I mean, we tend to gravitate towards what's familiar, even if we don't like it. And if you grew up going back and forth from house to house, exactly. you're, mm-hmm. you're just doing the same thing that's familiar. And mm-hmm. not real. Not, we don't stop and recognize right away oh, that's where this is coming from and why I'm doing it. And I don't like Mm -hmm. it because of this. And Mm -hmm. yeah, it takes a while. So you're bouncing around. Keep going. Keep going on the journey. Yes. So I bounced around um, and I eventually bounced into deciding to go get a master's because I didn't really, I'd kind of done the 20 something late 20 thing. And I'm like, well, this is actually kind of boring now. <laughs> Friends are starting to get married. Everyone's talking about babies. I'm not interested. Uh, so I, I went to work for an insurance administrator because my aunt worked there, but she got me a job because you know, someone's got a real 
be back in. <laughs> so I get a job at the, her company and I'm not sure that she'll ever forgive me for quitting, but that's a whole nother story. Um, and in that process, I meet this, this woman named Ruthie who is a part of this new church that's being planted. She's part of the kind of this mission team. And she starts talking to me about this church that she belongs to and how I should come and hang out. And I was like, well, sure. Why not? So I start going to church, which I hadn't done since I was 21. I literally got baptized and never went back. That was it. I was done. So here I am. I trying to think of how old I was at that point, probably my 28, 29. Um, so I said, okay, I'll go and um, I'll go to church. So I started going to an evangelical Presbyterian church, which was a complete change from the Baptist church that I had grown up in. And about three months into, because it was a very young church, very new, um, they were renting a building, it was a small staff of people, so they were kind of building this congregation. So I was in on the ground floor of this very small church, and, and I was also going back to school to get my master's, and the pastor, the pastor comes up to me one night after service and says, I think you should come and work for me. And I said, are you sure about that? And he said, I think that you and I have something to do together. And so you should come and work for me. And I said, okay, next great adventure. Here we come. <laughs> so I started working for a church. Um, it was an interesting couple of years. And I'm not sure that he would call me a qualified failure, but he would probably say that I was not the person who was ever going to be convinced that that there was that that was the way to go i loved those people they were amazing to be around all the time they were wonderful and they were exciting and we i sang in the the band and i would i was the administrative assistant i organized weddings i became a wedding planner through that i did all kinds of things for the time that i was in the confines of that space and then i was and then i was done were you done because it wasn't the right fit? Because, I mean, it went in lots of different directions. Or because, why? Because what I recognized after spending two years there was that for as much as I loved the community, I had the feeling of church still just left me ambivalent. Mm. Um, it still didn't, it didn't speak to me the way that it spoke to so many people around me who fully embraced an ethos that I just didn't feel. So I, I get that. that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was great for them. It just wasn't for me. I mean, I tried and I tried really hard. I worked for that things for the church. <laughs> so I tried really hard because as you said, it was another place I was trying to fit in. Um, sorry, but I already found But what I did decide to do then was go back and get my PhD. Right, because yeah. that's that, is that your fallback? Are are you? Do you like school? Did you like school? Were you good at it? Did you fit in there? Yeah, I, it's something I knew how to do. Okay, it's something I always I know, always knew that I can just go back to school. You did um, say something about the church. I want to ask you about. You said mm -hmm. it was a sense of community. Yeah, it was. Right, and there were all these different things: wedding planning, like all these things that come out of being part of a community because it's a community. I mean, like, right. right? Like, yep. <laughs> and I'm going to throw this out there and we can touch on it later if you want, yeah. um, wherever it fits in. But um, because you do this interpersonal stories and relationships, I think mm -hmm. as a, I think as people, a lot of us yearn for that community. The community raises mm -hmm. the child. Mm -hmm. that, and yeah. we're so not like that. And as time's gone on with technology, I see people standing in the line at the bank or the grocery store and everybody's yeah. looking at their hand at their phone. And what I feel like is this desperate attempt to connect, but they've mm -hmm. forgotten to look up at the, right. Right. Okay. So that's <laughs> the person yeah. uh, like, Hey, I'm standing right here watching you desperately try to connect right. with people. And I'm standing right mm -hmm. here. We could have this great yeah. conversation in line at the bank. Right. And I'm wondering, like, I, I get that you would have stayed there even though the religious aspect felt different because I think what a lot of people are searching for is the word community and you, yes. Okay. I completely agree with you. Okay. So. I think a lot of of what, at least for my journey, a lot of the places that I've gone has been an attempt to find that feeling of belonging. 
Yeah. It's all a search for belonging. Part of our, our core story is our search for belonging. Okay. Back in your room. I wanted to tie um, it into your PhD. So yes. Okay. So I went. So part of getting my PhD was because a I'm good at school. I okay. know how to do it. I've done it. I did it successfully. B um, I was ready to leave Kansas City, and this was an opportunity to do so. So I moved from Kansas City, Missouri, to Columbia, Missouri, to get my PhD at the University of Missouri, Columbia. And I knew that. I needed, to, I needed to leave Kansas City. I'd been there my entire life. I was born there, and it was just time. And school was a good excuse as opposed to just grabbing my hobo stick and getting in my car and driving away <laughs> and not looking back. Um, I could at least say I was going to school, which felt a lot less abrupt and kind of final that, you know, that it just felt like it was a transition everyone could appreciate as opposed to a, I'm just going to go and I'll let you know where I land. <laughs> yeah. People, people aren't there. cool with that. Are they? Yeah. But you, <laughs> did, you had a legitimate reason to, I love the hobo signal. I think like, I need that. I need that in my life. Um, you had a legitimate reason to grab your hobo stick, right? I mean like, yep, I did. <laughs> and you're getting a doctorate. Which, so your parents, you've said they've kind of just always, they shake their head and they're like, we don't know what you're doing or where you're going. Mm -hmm. Or were they happy at least about the educational side of it? Because. Um, yes, though they still didn't quite understand why I didn't just go to work and just oh. stick at something and, and just stay with something, stay with something, just stick with it, just stay there. And, um. When I, when I enrolled to get my PhD and I got accepted, I said, and I quote, I'll never forget this. So I'll probably do this for about 10 years and then I'll see what happens. And I, you would have thought I said that the Pope was Jewish or something because the whole world exploded. Um, and people were very like, you can't go get a doctorate and just teach for 10 years and then do something else. Nobody does that. Who does that? Who wastes their time doing this thing only to say, well, about 10 or 15 years, I'm probably going to want to do something else. Who does that? Well, I do that. That's kind of what I do. Um, and so my parents are very much, uh, one of them is just kind of looks at me and shakes her head. And then the other one, my dad, has always been my rock, who has been the one who said, I will help you blow up that mountain if that's what you really want to go do. <laughs> if you want to blow this apart, I will help you set the TNT, you know? And so that's, that's kind of where I come from. One parent who's like, there will be no dynamite in this house. And the other one who's like, no, no, I'm going to buy you the dynamite. <laughs> Don't worry. Not only did you go back and forth from houses growing up, but you had wildly different experiences. Yes, I did. What brought your parents mm -hmm. together? Did you ever, did you ever get that connection? I didn't because their relationship was over before I even understood it was a thing. They divorced yeah. when I was two. And so I have no idea, no clue. I, okay. I asked myself to this day, how the heck did that happen? Glad it right. did. Yeah. Well, I mean, me too. Here we sit. I'm just, <laughs> I, that was just kind of a side note in my yeah. brain. So no you idea. went, you, you went somewhere new, which I did. I can't believe it took you that long of all of the other stuff you did. I was the opposite. I was like, screw the degree. I'm getting in the car. And I, I like, right. I did the polar opposite of you, but same mentality. I should have. Right. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, different. It's just a different way, you, you yeah. know? So I can't, but I cannot believe with your personality, you didn't like hightail it all over. I, I always, yeah, I should have. I should have left way sooner, but part of the personality um, of having two separate households is that one household was very stable and one was very unstable. Yeah. And so part of me is, has always got this, this girl who needs to make sure everyone's okay. And yeah. if I had left, I knew that there would be so many people who would not be okay. They what finally okay. gave you the courage to do it anyway? Um, I just, uh, you know, I love to drive. I have to tell this story. I have to give you an answer through a story. Okay. I love to drive. I love to drive. One of my favorite relaxing things is to get in my car and drive out where I can see the start without light pollution. And so there is a, a University of Kansas, which is in Lawrence, Kansas, about 
45 minutes from Kansas City where I grew up. I used to make that drive a lot to see friends and to go party and things of that nature. And one night I was driving back and I realized that the road just, the road just needed me to be on it. It just needed me to be on it. I just, that, that's how I roll though. Like, like my life can turn on a dime. It looks like a dime to everyone around me, but for me, it's a gradually the process just came. It was like, it's time. This is your, your life is meant to be lived someplace else. I came home. I applied to the University of Kansas. I got rejected. I applied to the University of Missouri. I got accepted and off I went. It was just, it was so simple. When it was time, it was time. It's good that you recognize it still. I mean, personality aside, some of us really try to not follow that intuition. Can be tough. <laughs> so you went. I went. I went to the University of Missouri. I spent four fun, glorious years in Columbia, Missouri, which was not a hotbed of much, but it's a college town, so it was a lot of fun. Um, I discovered that I liked the feel of college life. So becoming a college professor seemed like a, a cool shtick to do for a while. So I've been doing that for a while now. Um, I also discovered that once I started going, that I wasn't probably going to stop. So I left Colombia after four years. I moved to Puerto Rico, took a job there for a year. I left Puerto Rico after a year. I went to the uh, university in Washington state for almost five years, had my son, got married, got divorced, hightailed it from Washington state all the way across the country to where I live right now, which is Long Island, New York. Okay, so <laughs> that was a really big summation. So once you got your degree, you traveled. You did not stay put. See, I didn't know. I, I didn't know this. Yeah. So did it ignite? I mean, it ignited the love of learning and the love mm -hmm. of teaching mm -hmm. and uh, of that college environment. Totally mm -hmm. get all that. But mm -hmm. wh why Puerto Rico and then why Washington? Hello, marriage. Let's, you know. <laughs> I mean, I knew there was a child in your house, so I assumed somehow <laughs> yeah. sex happened and yep. the child was... Yeah, right. Okay. He did. He's yep. six, six years ago. Almost seven. He'll be seven. So almost seven years ago now. So after I... Um, in 2008, when I was finishing my coursework for my PhD, I was on the job market and I applied everywhere. Um, every, everywhere, literally. And then this thing called the Great Recession came up. Yes. And a lot of the jobs that me and my friends were applying for dried up. So Puerto Rico became a default because they hired me. Um, and I would have gone anywhere, but I was excited to go to Puerto Rico. I had applied, you know, to go and that was fine, but I didn't know where I was going to end up. I cast this huge net. We all do. You just use cast the net and see where, where you're going to start fishing. But they hired me because just the bottom fell out of so many um, budgets rather rapidly into 2008-2009. So I ended up in the University of Puerto Rico. Um, it was quite a year, quite a year. It was the first time that I had ever lived in a place that felt physically unstable. I experienced my very first earthquake. I'd never experienced an earthquake before. <laughs> so I, I was like, oh yeah, I live on an island in the middle of the ocean. I would come out of my house some mornings and there would be this layer of ash on my car from Monserrate, which is the nearest volcano erupting all the time. And I would go, oh yeah, I live on an island in the middle of the ocean. For those of you who don't know, Puerto Rico is 35 miles by 100 miles. That's it. It's a very tiny island with a rainforest running along the middle of it. And you can drive from one end to the next pretty quickly if you can get through the really bad traffic. Um, and it is literally in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> so it is 1,600 nautical miles off the coast of Florida. And it was the furthest point I'd ever gone. I mean, we'd travel all over the United States as a kid. You know, we'd get in the car and go visit family, drove to Texas, Oklahoma, blah, 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 blah. This is the first place that I'd gone on my own um, that was this far from anybody that I knew. So I spent a pretty amazing, scary year in Puerto Rico where there were student strikes and university shutdowns and earthquakes and volcanoes and rainforests and beautiful men and great food. And, um, and I also began to really listen to that universal knowing really spoke to me a lot in Puerto Rico. I really found my footing in my own spiritual life in Puerto Rico. 
there's something about, well, first of all, there's something about seven foot lizards that will make you sit up straight and pay attention to your surroundings. <laughs> yeah, that'll um, do it for me. Yep. That'll do it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Nothing like driving home and going, there is a lizard the size of my couch over there. Yep. <laughs> Uh, but there is also, you know, the sounds of the mangroves behind my house, my apartment. And it was an amazing time. But I, I really began to understand who I was in Puerto Rico. Just the difference in location or being out of your comfort zone or comb all combination. Yeah. 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 All of that. I was so far outside of my comfort zone. I was in a yeah. I was in a land where no one spoke. Everyone could speak English, but they chose not to for the most part because it's a Spanish speaking nation. Right. And, um, and my Spanish was, was very rusty and it's now rusty again. It didn't used to be this bad, but I really found my story started to make more sense when I got to Puerto Rico. Started to make a lot more sense. Why did you want to leave? A couple of reasons. Number one, I, it was, it was very unstable. So not just the physically unstable, <laughs> the tectonic plates that kept shifting and causing earthquakes. That was that I, I probably could have lived with that, but uh, even back then, before the hurricane hit, and they you know they've had a lot of governmental issues. Even back then, Puerto Rico, it was not it was not the place I knew that I was going to stay forever. There was just too many things um, that I recognized weren't really for me. Um, you know, our university shut down a couple of times with student protests. There'd be armed guards running around, and you know, it was just it was an it was an unsettling year even for all the things that begin to make sense about me internally, my external world was very chaotic sometimes, but boy, it was fun. <laughs> well, I would think it was like you found heaven. There's change constantly. <laughs> this is perfect. So Washington state was next. So then I bounced from the middle of the Caribbean to the high desert of Washington state. So everyone when I say Washington State, people think of Seattle, which is called the Emerald Isle for a reason, because it's green and beautiful. But I live in the high desert, which is the foothills of the Cascade Mountains, which has its own kind of beauty, but it's not green. <laughs> Definitely not green. Yeah, people Brown do not actually. understand that. Yeah, very, very different. Very different. So, and I did not realize when I, when I was going there exactly where I was going. So I imagined I would be a little closer to a major city, but I wasn't. I was stuck smack dab in the middle of the state, practically, at the foothills of the Cascades in a little town called Ellensburg, Washington. Population 22,000. I went from an island of 3.5 million to a town of 22,000. Well, you're the one that likes change. So I'm kind I'm of thinking mean. like, you know, <laughs> you get what you ask for, uh -huh. but you're yep. taking jobs that are available to you that you can get where they're accepting you basically. Yes. Correct. So I, okay. Yes. Yeah. So the job in academics, the, the job dictates where you live. It just does. Right. Um, so this is the job that hired me and it was there that I met my ex, my future ex-husband. Um, and I had my child. He was born there. And I said to my future ex-husband, when we met, I said to him, chances are I will not stay here. And he didn't really believe me, which was unfortunate for him. Um, because he said, well, chances are I will never leave. And I did believe him. And I said, well, then chances are at some point we're going to not be together. Because I'm going to just tell you up front that I'm probably not going to be able to make 22,000 people home because I can already tell you it it just feels small my world felt like it got super small all of a sudden so um, I lived there for my son is six now I was there for five years five years long time for me that's a long time what was the decision to marry him knowing that or did you not entirely know that at the time um I wanted to start a family and I thought I could make it work I'd waited until I was in my 30s even think about the family I never wanted kids I wasn't that girl at 20 who was planning her wedding and babies and remember I was getting married but going I don't know that I want 2.5 kids and a dog in a house and you know uh, that didn't ever actually change. But what did change was I decided that I could, I could probably take a child and he had two already and that seemed to be okay. And I was like, all right, I think I can do this. 
I think I can do this. I'm going to be 36, 37. Mm-hmm. So I'll think about it. And my son was born when I was 39. Um, but, you know, I was like, I, I, think, I, can, I think I can make this work. <laughs> I'm going to try. Because what I did was I fell into the story of, well, but if you don't have a family of your own, then have you really done it all? Have you really done, have you really accomplished everything that you could? Um, this is a, it's, it's, I won't call it a trap, but it is a story that gets told a lot to women. If you don't have any kids, really? Hmm, that's weird. <laughs> and you're how old again? Hmm. You know, it's that, that feeling of just, you just don't quite belong because you don't have that thing that family. So I thought I'm going to make it, I'm going to, I'm going to live the family story for, and see if I can make it work. And I did make it work. And then I didn't. I think that we all, people try to fit you into a box. It just has to make sense, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. anything that doesn't fit into the box, you're just trying to find a box to shove it in. You know, it's because people are so uncomfortable. I don't, I don't understand that at Mm -hmm. all. Um, why that needs to be that way. My best friend in college, I was pregnant and I had a couple kids and she called me and said, I don't know how to tell you this, but you know, we're, she met her husband in college. They dated a really long time and lived together several years. I mean, it was normal back then. Cause you and mm-hmm. I are, I was born in 70. We're, we gotta be close to the same. Oh age. yeah. 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 I was born in 73. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, and like the late eighties, early nineties, you didn't just live with someone for years and not have a plan. They, but they right. did get married and then they went several more years and she called me and she's like, I just don't want to have kids. And I don't right. know how to tell right. you. And I'm like, you tell me just like that. <laughs> right. Right. Like, I have it. them and you yeah. shouldn't do it if you don't want to. No. Oh it my God. Hallelujah. <laughs> right. But it was so hard for her to tell yeah. people we love being yeah. married and we both love our careers and we don't want this. We don't want the rest. Yeah. Nope. And yeah, it shouldn't be really that tough. hard. Not that but it is. Well, yeah. And we kind of try to like, okay, well maybe I should conform more. So you did make it work. What made it not? Oh, we were different people. We didn't want the same things. Um, we we definitely did not want the same thing. When I got pregnant, uh, remember I mentioned, and this is kind of a good way to, to tie that period that that comment back together. When I when I I've always known that if I fell into something too hard, it would become like an addiction for me. So I'm always very careful about where I put my energy because I need that thing to be a positive thing and not a negative thing. Hence why I don't do drugs. Um, having a baby was like falling into a vat of love. It was just the most amazing thing. And it completely changed how I viewed the world and what was important and what was, what was possible. And I love that kid as if the sun shines off his curly little head. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I am overly protective of him. And I am crazy about him. And my ex-husband and I had wildly different ideas of what it meant to love. And that didn't become apparent until we had a child together. Because it's easy as an adult to adult to love the adult the way that the adult needs to be loved. And to be loved the way that you need to be loved because you can articulate that. I can say to you, Jen, I really don't care about compliments. What I like is time. Ah, the love language. Yeah, when you spend time with me, that works. Well, kids aren't that cut and dried. <laughs> like, they're messy and they're, they don't know what they need yet, but they need a whole lot of it all the time, all the time. And what happened was that we began to understand, I'm just going to break it down for your audience because um, it's important for, for them to understand that for at least it's important for me that they understand when I realized that my husband and I had wildly different definitions of what it meant to actually love something. I also okay. realized that he did not love me. He loved the idea. Ah, and so okay. that was a very, that was a very lucid kind of moment of realization of, I didn't want someone who loved just the idea of me. 
And to think about spending 30 years with that was just anathema to my soul. That I, I also understand. <laughs> Why New York? And you have your son. So how did that go? So that's where the divorce diva comes in. <laughs> that's where she was born. Um, is I stri- strategically, this is going to sound cold to some people, and I'm going to apologize up front. When I decided that I was going to be getting a divorce and recognizing that I had two choices, I could be a single mother near, or I could be a single mother far away because my ex was not interested in being a dad, which is another reason why we didn't make it. He really had no interest in parenting. He loved making babies. He didn't have any interest in parenting them. Um, and so I strategically moved the chess pieces of my divorce so that I would end up with my son away from my ex. Mm. This is how I ended up in New York. It was a very clear strategy. Like I had an entire wall full of notes and arrows and and strategy. I didn't walk into my divorce emotional. This is probably one of the beautiful parts of being my particular astrological makeup and not having the guilt gene very heavily is I could be very clear about what I wanted and I was going to get it, which was my child and away from my ex-husband. That brings us into, you get the divorce, you have your son there, that's all fine. Mm-hmm. And you have your PhD and now you're doing something completely different. So tie us in with what's happening now. (laughs) So I've done a lot of things since I left Washington. We've been in New York for three years now. Yes, we've been here for three years last month. And I wrote a book and decided that, well, before I left Washington, let me back up a little bit. Before I left Washington, finally left Washington, I started thinking about becoming an entrepreneur. Because I wanted to, what I realized at, at this point, finally, what I really want in my life is control and freedom. And I want the freedom to make choices that don't come with if I live a certain way. And what I value probably more than anything else is, is the ability to make free choice. And since I value that, um, I began looking at the idea of entrepreneurship when I was going through my divorce because what I recognized is that if I put my child in daycare, then I lose the choice of how he's raised. Mm-hmm. If I have to work 80 hours outside of the home, I lose the choice on what my house and my life actually looks like. So I had to begin to make some very strategic choices. So I have failed at any number of businesses in the past three years. For those of you out there who are starting your business and you're pulling your hair out and you don't know what's next, just don't give up. Just don't give up. You will get there. You will make it. It's a process. And you will fail forward. And as long as you're failing forward, then just keep going. Um, and so through the past three years, what I've what I finally figured out is that my heart belongs to women like me. It belongs to the, the women who are, who are at a place in their life where they know that, they, that there is a story that they now want to live. They're ready for that story. And it may be that they've never thought about what that story could look like. They don't have any idea what to do with it, but they know that they're ready. And so into that space, I wrote this book called So You're Getting Divorced. And I wrote it because I was that woman who would wake up at 3 a.m. during the course of her marriage and look at, just lay there in the bed and go, what am I doing? And how am I going to get out of this? And how am I going to make it? And what is my son going to be okay? And I'm afraid of everything. How do I work through the fear? And what's going to come next? And everyone tells me that this is, you know, I, I need to, to separate the personal from the practical. Well, I can separate the personal from the practical because that's how I'm made. But not everybody can do that. Everybody has the makeup. And so I wrote this. I, I was like, I'm going to write a book. It's going to be short because I have an attention span of a gnat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm writing it for me. <laughs> and, and it's going to be, it's, it's finally going to be the thing that I need to put out into the world. So that's what, that's where the dovetail into what you see on my Facebook page. 
the purpose, the passion, all of it is an extension. Purpose, passion, all of it is an extension of, of trying to, to get women to ask different questions because you can now. I love it. Thank you for being on and for sharing your story. <laughs> it was a fun Thank ride. Thank you for having me. It was. It was, it was really a great ride. <laughs> it's been a great ride. And I love how you've taken all of that and helped women find the answers that don't come as innately, you know, to them maybe. You know, it's been a fun journey. And at the, at this point in my life, my son's about to be seven, such a good age. Um, it was a decision to have one child and to have one child only, we'll never have another one. And I'm going to leave this with your audience because it's really important as women. We, if you have kids and you're in the midst of a divorce, or you're coming through a divorce or any, any kind of transition, the first thing we always go is, but will the kids be okay? Like if what I'm doing, like I can fuck up my own life, right. but I cannot <laughs> be held responsible for putting my child in position. And what I want to say is the beautiful part about where I am at this moment is that he doesn't know what I went through. He only knows the woman I'm becoming. Mm -hmm. His memories will only ever know the mom who smiles and is teaching him about freedom and teaching him about loving himself and about respecting and honoring and, and taking care of who he is. So yeah, the kids are going to be fine if you're fine. And if you're not fine, all the therapy in the world is not going to help those kids. Right. Amen. Thank so. you again. Oh, Jen, this was fun. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to get naked with us. If you'd like to bear it all with me, get in touch. Your story is unique and valuable. Let's show it off.